Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Dominique Hill, the Associate Program Director for St. Mary Mercy Hospital Emergency Medicine Residency. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Dan Keyes for another episode of CaseCast. He is our Research Director, and he's also dual uh, board certified in internal medicine and emergency medicine and is a board certified toxicologist. And today we are going to be talking about COVID and racial disparities. Welcome, Dr. Keyes. Hello, Dr. Hill. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for coming to talk to us on a case cast. Finally getting towards the end of the uh, tail end of the epidemic for now. Of course, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Um, But anyway, let me share with you a case um, that has to do with the epidemic that we're living through now. So this case took place at the height of the COVID epidemic in Michigan, and we actually had our peak here uh, the first week of April. So this was a a 68-year-old African-American woman, and she had a um, remote history of smoking, but not for over 20 years, uh, and a history of mild COPD. She had type 2 diabetes, um, but all of these were under good control. She had no, you know, she was not on HOMO2 or anything like that for the COPD. Uh, In fact, she was a resident of a senior independent living facility, uh, and basically on her own, you know, how those facilities work at at that level. Um, so what happened is she developed some shortness of breath, and they called EMS, EMS which, who found her to be hypoxic, and she had an O2 sat that was in the 70s. They brought her into our ER, and uh, because she was suspected COVID, we were at the peak of our, you know, early on in our uh, pandemic. Um, she was taken directly to a negative pressure room. Um, she was clearly dyspneic, and her O2 was in the high 80s on a high floor non-reader mask. So at that point, uh, you know, we were being told to intubate early. You know, remember, you know, uh, policies were changing. I think every few hours at that point, um, and uh, this is also the stage where only attending physicians were allowed to intubate. We didn't have any residents uh, seeing these patients. Of course, that changed uh, shortly after that. Um, so she was really struggling to breathe. You know, and as I said, she had uh, this low O2 sat even on the high flow. So pretty soon afterwards, we decided we better intubate her. We, didn't, we knew sooner than later she would need to be intubated. Um, the chest X-ray, which I'm not recalling now, it's before or after intubation, uh, showed a diffuse interstitial marking pattern that was at the suggestive of COVID. So she was placed on broad-spectrum antibiotics, and uh, I placed a central line um, and uh, actually a femoral line in her. And uh, shortly after that, she became hypotensive and was started on norepi. So she was on pressors. Um, you know, the daughter was contacted early on. Uh, we asked about, uh, you know, uh, advanced directives, and, and uh, we were to do everything for her. Um, and uh, the daughter came to the hospital. At that point, she came, and, and we uh, later on had a policy of no visitors. Um, but she didn't come to the bedside initially, and we, we discussed the case. Um, you know, she was able to talk to her mother over the phone and later to see her through the window of the negative pressure room. So, you know, this is one of the telling features of this epidemic we just lived through, that family members were not being allowed to, to be at the patient's bedside, even when, you know, when they're an extremist or, you know, possibly facing death. Um, so, of course, the patient was admitted to the ICU. And, you know, I'll never forget spending an hour and a half with just the nurse and myself in this negative pressure room resuscitating this patient. Uh, I think maybe it was two hours. We were just in there. I had, it just we were communicating with the outside nursing staff with a phone. It, you know, it's just uh, just one of those classic COVID uh, cases. 
so the patient went to the ICU. She survived another 24 hours, and then she she died. Um, so uh, we I didn't ever see the the daughter again after that point. But we set nasal swabs when we were resuscitating her, and at that point it was taking 10 days to get the results uh, or 11 days. It's just incredible. Early on, it took us so long, uh, and actually the first set of swabs came back negative for COVID, but a later one was positive up in the ICU. So, uh, you know, there's so much we can discuss about a case like that. You know, one of is just this incredible experience we've all just lived through with COVID, you know, the, the challenges of uh, taking care of patients uh, without that personal touch of having the family at the bedside and that sort of thing. Uh, Another, another thing, of course, we could touch on, and I think I will touch on, is this geriatric predisposition to the disease and high mortality uh, for, for geriatric population. And you know, as you know, you know uh, it, although it kills, uh, something like, it, it kills something like 13 or 14 percent of patients over 80, uh, compared to only 1 percent of those in their 50s and 0.3 percent of those in their 40s. So clearly there's a, an age uh, predisposition to the disease and, and to uh, mortality. And that mortality uh, raises, I think, when you get placed on on the ventilator as well, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. I've heard some controversy about that. <clears throat> we were told not to innovate uh, early. And then we were told uh, a few weeks ago, we were told actually it really doesn't make a difference. So just make your mind up, you know, if you think they need it, give it to them. So I think the, the jury's out. You know, that's another thing just to mention briefly. You know, isn't it amazing what we live in? I've, I've shared, you know, talked with people at other institutions, the same thing, how the policy is a certain thing in the morning. You know, at noon, it might be a different policy, and in the evening, a third policy. But, you know, we were just lost in, in many ways. And, uh, and this is one of the examples, I think. Do you intubate early or not, you know? Um, so... Uh, but I think uh, there is, does seem to be some evidence that getting people off the ventilator early, which is kind of an ICU issue, uh, does seem to help. But um, so the other thing I thought, uh, as you pointed out in an introduction to this discussion, uh, it would be helpful to, and useful to discuss this issue of these racial disparities that are seen with COVID. And I think the, your, the listeners uh, are probably very well familiar with this, that minority populations, and especially African-Americans, and to some extent, Hispanic and Latino as well, uh, suffer disproportionate burden of illness and, and death, you know, that we really can't ignore. Uh, you know, the CDC reports that about, that they have a sample of about 600 patients, and they say that 33% of hospitalized were African-Americans versus 18% in the community, so much higher rate of uh, admission. And in fact, there is a, a study that just came out of Sutter, Sutter Health in California, in Northern California, uh, where they saw that African-Americans had 2.7 times the admission rate of others. Although, interestingly, in that study, they showed a lower mortality in hospital of African-Americans, but I think that's not obviously reflected by the national data we have. In fact, in New York City, we have really good data, and your listeners, I, I would actually encourage your listeners to go, if you have a chance, go to nyc.gov, and you can see graphic illustrations of uh, of this better than I can ever describe to you in words. But uh, African-Americans had 92 deaths per 100,000 population versus 74 uh, in the Hispanic Latino population and 45 in whites. So think about that, 92 for African-Americans, 45 for whites, more than double the mortality than in whites. And actually Asians were the lowest at, 30, at 34. 
35. Um, so, you know, there's clearly an issue here uh, that we're facing and looking at why is this population at increased risk? Uh, and we're actually conducting a nationwide study of our own, looking at this on, a, on a, like I say, a nationwide database uh, and trying to get behind it because we can always, you know, talk about these statistics of how bad it is, uh, but ultimately we have to try to find some way of solving these issues. And so we're, we're trying to look at, at some of the causes behind it, but, uh, you know, but there's definitely something that we need to do is just try to bring out this discussion uh, bring it to the forefront and, uh, uh, and and look for causes and look for solutions. Yes, I think that's uh, that's very important. I think one of the the causes and solutions would be making sure that you're aware of any biases that you have when it comes to patients of color. And I think that's important because I think it's been shown that there's a lack of testing when it comes to African Americans and um, Hispanics when it come when they present to the hospital. And so the more you test, the more that you're able to identify, you know, COVID nineteen in these patients, so they can get the treatment that they need. You know, I think you're right. <clears throat> we're, uh, uh, we're the answers to this are still out there, but I think testing is a huge issue. If we know that the attack rates and the mortality rates are so much higher in these communities, we need to focus, I, I would agree, we need to focus early testing on those communities because if we can identify it early, we can intervene with treatments that might make a difference. Um, I think there, I agree with you about the testing issue. I think that's a big one. And it's, it's a place where we've kind of failed here in the US. You know, We didn't do testing very well early on. Um, but other things you might consider uh, are, you know, obviously comorbidities. We know that that hypertension and diabetes are, are uh, more prevalent in the African American community. Uh, you know, so what if we find more comorbidities? What would we do? Well, we need to know if that's part of the cause because if so, you know, we can intervene. We could really emphasize prevention in those communities. Maybe educational programs. We can do things to try to uh, to improve that aspect of. Uh, you know, that predisposition to this and, and actually health in general. Uh, in our study, we're planning to also look at density of population. We're going to look at poverty. We're looking at geocoding to try to answer some of those things as well. Um, but I think your, your testing point is very well taken, as is your, your bias. Um, and, and another thing we would like to look at is, is, is you know, access to health care um, and availability of health care. And then once you get it, you get adequate health care. And one of those issues is certainly the bias that we have when treating these patients, um, uh, something that we need to really consider. Um, if we don't find the causes, looking at bad statistics are kind of meaningless. So I, I think we really need to look at those things. I agree I, with I, you. Yeah, there's a, a colleague. I'll say he's a colleague of mine. It's only peripherally. I, I worked with him a little bit uh, in Texas. Uh, Clyde Yancey is. Um, he's formerly from UT Southwestern, as I said, but he's now the chair of cardiology in Northwestern in Chicago. He, he's had a career-long interest in racial disparities uh, and, and African American himself, and, and he wrote a really lucid piece, I'd say, in JAMA recently. And I also would refer your your listeners to that. Um, and, and he said, he said this, he said, the scourge of COVID-19 will end, but healthcare disparities will persist. You know, in other words, he's saying, look, we have COVID, we're seeing this high mortality. COVID's going to be gone eventually, but the health disparities are not. And so it's something that we really need to look at. He, he called it a bellwether event, uh, the COVID epidemic. 
that he hopes he's very optimistic that will help address these healthcare disparities that exist. Um, I don't know how you feel. I, I'm a little bit older than, than some of my colleagues and I'm a little bit jaded. Uh, I think we're seeing this all over again. We've seen it before. Um, but, but I think it's good to be optimistic and see if we can get behind this and see if we can make some changes that will be lasting. I agree too uh, that about being optimistic because I think the more this is brought to light, the more people have a heightened sense of awareness for it, that they can uh, start to research it. And in that way, you can actually come up with solutions, hopefully. So I'm also very optimistic. Absolutely. Well, we think getting the information out there certainly will help, won't it? I think it will too. Well, Dr. Keyes, this was a great topic to discuss this week and very spot on, especially now with the COVID pandemic. So I want to thank you for talking to me and our listeners of the CaseCast this week regarding this. All right. Thank you very much and uh, stay healthy. You too. Remember to wear a mask. <laughs>